fucking Friday. Greg Medford, and you're going there with Greg today, and I have some guests in the studio. I always love having people come through the factory, come into the studio, and try and get like their reactions from having seen the studio for the first time, or having seen the factory for the first time. And it's the first time in the studio, too, right? Yes, it is. Yes. Guys, this is uh, Jason and Paul from TLT Trading. A lot of you knife fans who watch the show and lunatics who watch the show uh and some of you mk tooligans um you guys will all be familiar with dlt trading you guys get on with dlt trading to buy knives there's lots of online purveyors these guys do one of the baddest ass uh, executions of selling mostly american i mean how much of your stuff's american made vast majority vast majority <clears throat> yep. of the stuff that sells yes <laughs> So, you know, it's almost hard to be a reseller of anything and not have Asian stuff kind of come across the desk. And it's not like we're xenophobes who hate foreigners, but there is a war going on, as you well know. And any of you who come to my show know that I've fucking declared war on a bunch of goddamn evil soulless communists. And we just don't like to have their stuff around as much as we can avoid it, right? <laughs> Pretty much. So, um, uh, Paul is uh, employed at DLT. He's the brand manager for uh, our brand, Medford Knife, that's at DLT. And then uh, what other brands do you manage over there? It's, I do the direct buying for Hinderer. Uh, Hinderer is the other main one. Um, your stuff, obviously, like you said. Yeah. Benchmade, uh, Spider Co. Yeah. There's several then lines. For the like more production stuff, Benchmade, Spider Co. will be the other two major, major brands and hands in some of the other stuff as well. Cool. And how long have you been at DLT now? Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. Are you guys having a hard time finding employees? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think every employer in the country is having trouble yeah, finding for sure. quality employees. So, uh, Jason, tell me a little. How long you been in? How long you been doing the knife gig for? Fourteen years. Fourteen years. Okay. Yeah. A little tiny bit longer than me. Yeah. Um, how many brands do you guys currently carry? A lot. I don't. 20, 40? North of 40, I would guess, but critical mass in 10 to 15 that are probably 80% of our sales. 80 20 rule, huh? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. I think the brands are probably closer to 100 if you count all the really small niche, stuff. All the niche right. stuff, also. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And uh, you guys are in a unique position. You know, you. Blade HQ Knife Center, uh, uh, Smoky Mountain Knife Works. You guys are big. You have big, you know, big reach. A lot of big client lists. I imagine at this point, you guys have a really. You guys, I think, are very good smoke signals on the horizon for what business is, for what the knife business is doing. So I, I always love hearing from you guys. Hearing, you know, kind of what you're seeing trending and um, give me a little feedback. Tell me how we're doing in the in the makeup in the knife world compared to, you know, our peer group competitors, niche products, and the whole nine yards? So we've seen very good sales on your stuff, along with the other high-end American-made stuff has been the bigger trend overall for us. It's hard to keep your, you know, your hot products go out the door seemingly as fast as they come in, similar to Chris Reeve and Hinderer. So, but Medford in general has been, it's always been a great brand for us. And we've been with you for, six years six and a half years something like that so it's it's been a good relationship since from the beginning but overall your stuff is selling better than it ever has and how are we tracking on with our peer group you know you mentioned some of them how uh are are you as equally bullish with those brands as ours kind of across the board i i think and i mean i i you know i brought you guys under you know i'm not asking you you guys don't need to stroke my fur you know yeah um i think American-made cutlery as a whole right now is, um, it's never been stronger. 
Uh, we continue to see strength there, uh, especially at the premium end of that that band, I guess, um, as, as Paul alluded to. Uh, there's really good strength there yet. Um, I think we're living in the, the golden age of American cutlery. There's never been a better time to sell American-made knives than right now. Um, innovation that you're working on that we know about, innovation that other brands are working on that we know about, um, it's an exciting time to be selling what we sell. Um, American-made cutlery has always done extremely well at DLT. Um, I think partially because it's something that we personally are very invested in. I, as the owner at DLT, um, it, it, it's always been what I've focused on. It's, um, you, you know, in a very, very small way, I feel like we're helping create American jobs. It's extremely important to me. It always has been. So when you believe in something, it helps you sell it. So I think uh, we've always been uh, a little bit more to the American-made sales percentage-wise than some of our peers. Um, but I think our peers, um, my guess is, are also seeing very good times in American-made cutlery. Yeah, um, I think everybody is. Every, I think it's it, been we're, a, we're all in high cotton it's right a, now. It's a weird ri risen tide for all of us. Absolutely. <laughs> it's high tide right now, which always makes me, uh, you know, makes me think, you know, one is swim a little further or pull your shorts up, swim on water pulls back, you're not standing there naked with everybody else, you know? Right. I feel, um, uh, I feel like it's not going to retract to pre-COVID. I think what we've seen is an amazingly bad PR year for all things China. And I think there's a, a lot of factors that have pushed, you know, the rising awakening of America to what's going on with the Chinese Communist Party, what's happening in China, the politics and how it's an extension, how we buy as an extension of our vote. You know, we get to vote more than just once every four years, right? Every, Absolutely. Somebody is codifying, checking, marking, noticing, interneting, interwebbing every dollar you spend and noting, like, oh, what, a, you know, because the, the algorithms are out there searching for every little thing that's going on. I think there's a lot of people who are just kind of sick of um, supporting countries that are kind of anti-American. And I think that's a part of it. I think the other part of it is they've been stuck home. I think when people are maybe scared or feeling really insecure, they have a tendency to buy tools and pistols and stuff that they could be more self. I think they want to feel more self reliant because it soothes them, soothes them a little bit. And I think knives kind of fall into that category. I I agree, but I, I think there's more to it than that. I oh, think good, bring it. That's yeah, what you're no, here for. I want to hear it. Absolutely. You know, I think that. As Americans, we have a short memory, shorter than we should sometimes. So I think we've seen... Not me. I hold fucking grudges. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we've clearly seen a, a pro-buying American trend. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we saw this after 9-11. We've seen this other times. And then slowly people shift back. But I think in the knife industry, the thing that... Why I'm bullish on it a year out, three years, five years out, I do think we've seen a paradigm shift where we're not going back to pre-COVID levels. I think it's driven the biggest part on just the sheer quality products that American uh, cutlery companies are putting out. Exciting new steels, MagnaCut being one of them. Yeah. All kinds of cool innovation and, and really exciting stuff. If, and, if you and, can't compete on price, the only thing left is awesome. 
That's right. I mean, and, you got to compete on awesome. And we can't, we can't compete on price right. in the world market. We right. have to do it on quality. And American-made cutlery is. In our tiny little part of the world economy, uh, American cutlery is doing a fantastic job. Yeah, I agree. Even the guys doing old-fashioned stuff I would never want to do. You know, even the companies making old-fashioned stuff, right. they're, they're really nice. They are. Yeah. Because that's really all we have. All we can do is stand on quality and awesomeness and... Uh, there's also a generation of people coming along uh, who are, they are consumers in a different way. They're cons consumers with conscience. And uh, before that, I feel like the new 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 people are almost like the vampire Lestat. You know, is a, uh, remember from Interview with the Vampire? Brad Pitt, the vampires loved Brad Pitt because he had a conscience. He didn't just mm -hmm. turn into a cold-blooded killer. These young people are consumers, just like the Gen, Gen Xers and the Gen Yers. They're they're consumers, but it seems like they want to have their consumption reflect on their values. Absolutely, they want to show how savvy they are. They want to show how conscious they are. They want their product to be a reflection of some inner savvy that they possess. So it's almost like the rich guy that wants a Ferrari to show he's rich. They want to consume stuff that show that they're right. Uh, which is a kind of interesting phenomenon in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, you guys came down here. This is your first time through the Shactory. It is my first time. Yeah, Paul's been down here twice before. I've been here twice before at the yeah. old facility. And first time at this place. Yes. Yeah. Um, why, why don't you like tell us your, I guess, first impression versus expectation or your impression versus expectation because... Paul's been here before and kind of knows kind of knows the routine. Give us a little sense of that because a lot of people out there in digital land, they you know they see they go to Medford University, they watch some of the videos, they go, oh, they're making you know some part of it, and they maybe don't get a sense of it because you've been intimately involved in business with us for over six sure. years, mm -hmm. and today surprised you. I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away. I was blown away on on two main fronts. I think. Uh, the first one, just the sheer tolerances that you guys hold. Um, people talk about aerospace tolerances. You guys are blowing their tolerances away. Um, but I kind of, to an extent, I expected that. I, you have that, um, you, you've got, you're known for your tolerances, right? So, I mean, I expected it. Yeah, I'm known for being intolerant as hell. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but the... Everything was even more dialed in than what I expected. Um, I've been in enough manufacturers. I, I, I see the equipment that you've and got. you've been in a lot of knife places. Tell, I, us, tell I, us the factories you've been in. I have. You know, as so I've been, you know, m most of the major ones, to be honest. You know, it's a pretty exhaustive list. Uh, I, I've been in a few smaller ones, but mainly, you know, n name the, the large manufacturers in the knife industry, and I've been in all of them. Uh, and you've got equipment here that stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with any of them, if not exceeding them uh even though some of those places are bigger much bigger yeah, probably yeah. impressive incredibly impressive equipment uh, impressive kind of end-to-end control on how you do things from heat treat surface grind you're doing it all here in-house where you can control how well it's done yeah. outsourcing is fantastic but you're relying upon somebody else to hold your level of quality I know enough about you to know you're a real hands-on guy. You love the control. You've got it. You've got end-to-end -end control on making it. So, you know, that that first part is just 
how can exact everything is done here and just the way that you do things and the fixturing and I told Paul my eyes were rolling back at times thinking my god I'm glad I don't do manufacturing I'm a halfway smart guy this above my pay grade I don't want any part of this 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 is complex this doesn't look like fun to me this looks this is hard hard stuff so you know there's that part of it the other part was it isn't just science. I mean, you have some real talented people here yeah. doing some real hands-on grinding, some real hand fit, incredible hand fitting. Um, I don't know if I'm at liberty to say the the number. You know what what how long it takes to physically put one together and adjust I, it. I, listen, I have no secrets about this. I tell everybody on the bash and people say, "God, don't you want, you don't want to give away the secret sauce?" I go, "Listen." You, this is so hard. If somebody can watch a video and fucking make good knives, we they deserve to be in the knife community. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm, you know, you could say anything. Nothing. Nothing. nothing okay. In. So basically, putting a Praetorian together and taking an hour hand lapping and hand fitting and take put it together, take it apart because it's not perfect. Put it together, take it apart again. Use some more lapping compound until it's absolutely perfect and fluid opening. I couldn't believe there was an hour of just assembly on every single knife that comes through here. Yeah. And the guys in the grinding room, the precision grinding that they were doing, it blew me away. I've, I've, like I said, I've been a lot of places where I've seen grinding. I haven't seen any better. Um, just absolutely impressive tolerances, and then the craftsmen that work here. Those are the two big takeaways. And, and yeah, I guess you could make any video on on anything with knife making because if you have anything between your ears and you're a guy like me, you're thinking, man, I don't want any part of trying to do this. This is not something, this is not something that you just write your little check for $5 million and you start making them years and years This is not for years. the faint of heart, this let me is tell not. you. Uh, you know, one of the reasons we bring it in-house, you know, my initial model was let me find other manufacturers who do all these steps. I'll have them do these steps and we'll collaboratively make this. And what I found out was that all works if everybody knows what they're doing, has a perfectly stable process, they don't have a hungover employee, and they don't wreck a batch of your stuff. Right. When they wreck a batch of your stuff, the whole operation literally grinds to a halt. And so I was just too frightened of having the, my supply chain of material moving out of the building because stuff goes missing, stuff gets lost, things get stolen. I mean, you know, I had initially, I was sending my knives out to get them heat treated. And I go, Jesus, they took all that time. What if they get lost? Oh, you get your insurance claim. I go, yeah, but where am I going to get 150 blades again? You know, because when I started, that was everything, right? Right. Um, and so I said, no, nah, we're just keeping it all in house. I can't risk having a box of 500 blades go missing on the way to this heat treat place or that heat treat place. So honestly, it was, uh, it was a little bit of self-preservation because we're running so lean and I don't have stacks anywhere. I don't have, I don't have enough inventory sitting on shelves to absorb a, th a three or four week delay in any one step of the process, or, or there's going to be half the company with no work because right. it's on demand. You know, we're doing on-demand bespoke manufacturing, so it's, it's one, real time. The one thing that I've seen with other manufacturers, not just the, well, we lost, you know, X amount. It's the, yeah, we're running three, four weeks behind. Then it's, you're in the same boat. Yeah, they still have have the blades or whatever they're working on, but now all of your processes are behind. So I've, I've you've seen that in other knife places, other knife manufacturers, and just in uh, manufacturing in general but that can be a killer too which goes in line with what you were talking about because i've seen it we had it with a company that was doing pvd coatings for us up in uh, oregon 
and they do PVD coatings for all the major makers up there. And they had had a different manager every few months running their production facility. And somebody got a case of ass towards my company. And I don't know if it was because they're a bunch of libtards and they had some pol political uh, axe to grind or if somebody from one of the big companies stepped in and said, hey, we're done with these guys and w we can move our work. But they all of a sudden started messing up all of our paperwork and then the managers wouldn't talk to us on the phone and then they sent us to the accounting people in Chicago and they jammed this up and they almost put us out of business. Wow. And it's almost hard to conceive for a group of people that pay their bills on time that that could be possible and you can't talk to the people who have your stuff because they've been advised not to by accounting. <laughs> like it was the craziest thing and it the whole thing felt like somebody squeezed us out. And I think that's what happened. And and so that kind of stuff just scares the crap out of me. So, I, you know, as much as I can keep in the building, I keep it in the building just because I'm always afraid of somebody <laughs> assassinating me that I don't know about. <laughs> well, what's your favorite knife that we make right now, Paul? Well, I am biased. I own three uh, Genesis T's, so that is still my favorite. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> this bed's too hard. This bed's too soft. And this one's just right. Um, how about you? Uh, Praetorian, but the one, other one that's been growing on me a lot is the Gentleman Jack. I oh, like, yeah. I like that knife a lot. You know, it's interesting, the Gentleman Jack, I'm actually carrying one in my pocket right now. Uh, I absolutely love this knife. And if I would have checked a bag, I would have showed you what I was carrying, but I have zero knives with me since we did carry-ons only for the trip. I love this knife, but I hate it now. And the reason I hate it is because it doesn't have the crisp walk and talk that I've learned to put in the other stuff. For as a as a locking tactical knife guy, I thought this thing was just the coolest thing since sliced bread. And now I'm like, I can't wait to have one that's got a proper half, you know, mm -hmm. a proper clicking, walking and talking half stop, you know. Uh. So I actually have redesigned the knife, and that'll be our kind of dash two model coming out of it. Nice. It is, you know, here's the worst part: we had 250 of them made, and I learned new stuff. I was like. Mm -hmm. And I almost threw the damn things away. I was like, mm, just because I see what everybody was talking about. Mm. But it took a little while. I had to kind of get conked in the head with it. Um, talk to me a little bit about where you guys live, how COVID's been for the last two years up there. Yeah, so um, we're right on the border between northern Wisconsin and the upper peninsula of Michigan. Um, I live on the Wisconsin side. Paul lives on the Michigan side. Uh, going through COVID, it was interesting because each state had their own response to it. Uh, Wisconsin had a um, much more common sense response to it. M Michigan's governor, in my opinion, was extremely radical and um, was yeah, she's a, a fucking nutter. Among the worst governors in the country, in my opinion, yeah, I agree um, with you. Totally reactionary and cratered the economy in Michigan <laughs> in every way possible. Um, now, you know, the last six or eight months, it's pretty much business as usual. Uh, people have gone back to... In Wisconsin? Yeah, and, and I think yeah. even on the Michigan side, large, I mean, people, I think, uh, you know, we all know the virus is real, it's a bad thing, blah, 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 but at a certain point, you just have to say we can't... At a certain point, life goes on. We can't r ruin our future and our kids' future for this virus. Yes, it's real. Yes, it's bad, but... We need to get back to work. We yeah. need to open the economy. 
we need to do things. And I think largely uh, in our neck of the woods, people are doing that. People don't realize, uh, folks who don't have kids, they don't realize how bad this has been on kids. Yeah. The uh, separation from the herd, the isolation that's happened. Uh, I'm a strict believer at this point that grownups are not actually supposed to be around their kids all day. <laughs> right. It's it's good in some ways, and it's really rough in other ways. Um, I know the kids went back to school, and it seems like one in four or one in five girls uh, at the high school age that you know, my daughter encounters are some sort of, they've got some sort of gender dysphoria going on. Uh, and uh, they just... They haven't been running with the pack, learning that, you know, you go left here and you go right there and you go over this and you kind of all do it together and everyone's talking about boys together and now they're all by themselves. Half of them just start talking about girls. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because they're afraid of boys or what, but, you know, my daughter's like, she likes she likes boys, thankfully, and we're talking about it. And I, I'm like, come on, there can't be one in five people with, with gender dysphoria. And she said, oh, yeah. She says, it's maybe more. If it was a club, it'd be the biggest club in school. And I'm like, holy smokes. Yeah. You know, nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying it's uh, it, it may not be productive for society, and there are weird apparitions when you lock kids in a house for a year by themselves, not to mention the, the school and the educational part that's been crushed by, yeah. by, by not being there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and so I was sitting down with the vice, pres vice principal of my son's uh, junior high, uh, and he said, do you know when the last time these kids had a regular school year was? And I was like, well, it was like, Fifth grade? He said fourth grade. Wow. So fourth grade was our last regular year. Fifth grade got messed up halfway through the year. Sixth grade didn't happen. He's in seventh grade. I was like, okay, this makes sense because, you know, he, he doesn't have the organizational skills and we're yeah. struggling with all that. How, how old are your little ones? Five and seven. Okay, so you're, you're a little bit free. But, but you know, high school. junior high is a big transition time. It's, yeah. And you're really having to step up and schedule your own homework. And but, they, have, they haven't learned this. Um, our, our kids ended up uh, attending in person the entire time. Oh, they did. They, yeah, okay. they, they go to uh, Catholic school, so they the, the the diocese was committed to in person learning, and I could not believe that. Awesome. I, I, I thought there's no way that they're going to make it the entire year. <laughs> awesome. And they did, and they did. Nobody got sick. Kids didn't get sick. No teachers did. One faculty member ended up getting coronavirus, um, but in person and i think it was incredibly important um it was important for our kids but even more so for some kids that that is the only stability they have yeah is school yeah you know their home life isn't great mom and dad aren't teaching them what they need to know the the home learning's not happening yeah. um i i think i mean i understand the reason for it and partially anyway but I think we did a real disservice to our kids over the last couple of years. Um, I like the dads being locked at home, though, because with all the dads locked at home, they bought a lot of knives man, while they, they were sitting around on Instagram. Man, and they, they bought a ton of knives. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I don't know. That was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse um, me. When you guys went into COVID, how many of you were there up at your place? Uh, I think nine, wasn't there? Um, nine, including you, yes, yeah. I think. Yeah. So nine you keep saying nine, including me. Well, yes, well, I work. No, well, you, Jesus Christ. No, because everybody says, well, how many employees do you have? You don't, if you're a business owner, you don't count yourself. So Jason always counts himself. But well, if you get a paycheck, you count yourself. 
Hey. Okay. Okay. Paul, you know, Paul acts like I'm sitting in the corner no. of the office with my feet up watching TV. And so there's eight of you working, and one of you uh, eats yogurt. Yeah, Got exactly. It. That's exactly right. That's not what I meant. But you know what? <laughs> yeah. So, so not not nine nine counting myself. So okay. eight eight outside or paid employees or whatever plus myself. And if you ha if you could snap your fingers, how many would you, employees would you kind of have currently? Right now, you know, if we had the right people, twelve to fourteen. Okay. Would be a good number. So for you've us. been crushed trying to find people. Because Absolutely. you're sitting... Greg, everybody is. Yeah. Everybody is. No, no, I get everybody it. But I, I'm, is. I'm Every, seeing... Everybody is begging for employees. In our town, at one point, the street we were on, from the highway where you turned onto that street, all the way to the next intersection, which was probably two miles down, there was a point where every single business had help wanted signs in the window. We didn't have one in the window because I don't advertise employees for, yeah. for that way. Yeah. But we were actively looking, and all the other places had either on their sign or a sign in the window, help wanted, every single business. And it's still that way and to the point now where in our area, there's manufacturers that would expand and grow this economy, but they're not doing it because they know they can't find employees to come to work. So they're just, they, they're just peeling back. It's another it, form of supply chain problem. When you when you don't when you don't have manpower because the government has intervened and undermined people's need to work, there is a maybe it's one in five people in this country if given the option to kind of do bupkis or kind of do do an entry level job so they can hustle and get a mid level job so they can hustle and get an upper level job. Um, they've they've created enough incentive they they're just not interested. They're like no way that's being a sucker for the man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and. Uh, that's as bad as running out of steel. You know, people, I think I've said this to you guys, you know, we could snap our fingers and double our company overnight, and I think the market would accept our, our products for the foreseeable future. Uh, people tell me, oh, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? Well, just get a second shift going. If you get a second shift, I had this guy from Britain telling me, giving me this lecture on Oxford School of, you know, Kaizen manufacturing efficiencies. And I go, you mean just find another 35, 40 people who are spectacular craftsmen I trust on second shift in the middle of the night to not fuck up all my machines and make these really detailed products? That You mean that? I'm like, it's taking me all this time to find the crew I've got. Mm -hmm. I'm just snap my fingers and whoop up a night crew? I'm like, are you kidding? Yeah. You know, and and that's, uh, people just say, oh, you shouldn't get more machines and you, you, you should get your night shift going. Yeah, well, okay, let me know. Find me another knife grinder right now. Right. It, it's people, it's very people constrained. Build another factory over in Fantasyland yeah. and then hire the employees. Yeah, we've got a Fantasyland. We have a fantasy factory. It's at night and it's full of fantasy employees. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on a second. Wait a minute. From now on, it's going to be America first, okay? America <laughs> first. You know, I just love that guy. We I miss him so much. By very, very stupid people. <laughs> very, very stupid people. I got one more. He's gonna, we he's, he wanted to chime in. And he What's the difference between a wet raccoon and Donald J. Trump's hair? A wet raccoon doesn't have seven billion fucking dollars in the bank. <laughs> You know, I miss the guy so much. It's been crazy. Um, we've got three more years left, right? Yeah. I know. You just both had that deer in the headlights look. It's like, wow, is he going there? Yep, I'm going there. No, I was thinking that it's a little bit more than that. 
is you're thinking it's three years and two months. Yeah. <laughs> ever ever the perfectionist. Um, have you guys do do you, what do you see impact wise? Uh, I have ne I never anticipated that the Trump administration was gonna, was going to directly impact me. I've never had any presidential administration do anything that directly impacted me until Donald Trump came along. And then he directly impacted our business regularly. Um, do you see this guy having impact on our on our business? Yeah, negative impact. But let, let's be real. I mean, even in my opinion, um, what Trump did for business by peeling back some regulation and stuff, eh, maybe it had a marginal effect on my business. My business... I think operates in a vacuum. I've never got a penny from the government in any sort of uh, grant or any other nonsense. Mm. That's that's always other people that get that. I've had to pay for everything and just be taxed to death. Um, you know, and not to pick on Biden or anybody else, but Biden talking about all the nonsense stuff to stimulate the economy and throw in trillions of dollars to stimulate business. That crap doesn't work. Right. You, you, you give me the examples where this has worked on a large scale. If, if Biden wants to create jobs, less, less regulation, lower taxes on business and stay the hell out of our way. Let people like you and me hire more people. That's how you create jobs. And quit the throwing relief money out into the market because the, the, this, the, this government, this, this country would jump, jump. You know, the jobs numbers came out worse this a uh, couple days ago, right? Was that yesterday? And they're all freaked out about it. I'm like, nobody can grow because we can't find people. Right. We're, we don't have a business problem. We have a supply of talent problem and then they want to do a, a, a trade school i'm like we don't need school we just need some smart people that want to work and i mean that that's the biggest thing i see is disincentivizing work no that, that, that's that's huge yeah. and then like i say over and above that if government wants to create jobs stay out of businesses yeah. away let small small and medium businesses do what they do best stay out of our way Trump don't tax us to death don't put in so many regulations and <clears throat> excuse me nonsense rules that stifle our business don't give so many incentives to people to stay home that we can't get employees yeah and stay the hell out of our way that's it and and american business there is a lot of smart people in american business that will do fantastic on the world stage if given the opportunity and a level playing field that's yeah. all we ask for you know it's interesting uh i was kind of a rogue character the first six and a half first five and a half years that the business was open because i almost started out of an anti-chinese posture and i had a lot of people spread a lot of hate my way because i was just saying what i thought was obvious and then he came along and i was like okay the most powerful dude in the planet is saying exactly what i've been saying online and getting censored for oh, oh my god this is unbelievable and I just think one of the things he did is he brought back, he, he really, really hammered home some awareness about what they're up to. There's a kind of pie-eyed goodness seeing that the left does, and he didn't do that. He was calling it out. He was like, you know, these are bad. They're bad people. They shouldn't be getting our money. They're unfair. What they're doing is wrong. They're taking intellectual property. You know, we're getting our knife models knocked off. They use my name. They use my logo. They use it on knives that I've never even made versions of. And uh, it's been super frustrating for us, and there's nothing we can do about it. Strider's been dealing with it. Gucci's been dealing with it. We've been dealing with it. Everyone de has dealt with it. Um, 
you know, in, uh, Microtech. I mean, everybody's dealt with these knockoffs. And he was calling them out, and he was just sending out a directive. Hey, stop pirated goods coming in the country. And CBP was stopping, you know, millions and millions of tons of this stuff coming in the country. And now it's green light. Yeah. You know, fentanyl and everything else. Bring it all in. Yeah. Without that's what that's what made the big difference for me. Getting too far into you know the Chinese people and how they are, and you know I I'm sure they're fine people, but their government has for a long time had a win at all cost mentality um in our country not i mean not just the democrats both sides we've been more concerned about looking good in the world community yep. than making deals that benefit our country i had an australian customer that told me he didn't like donald trump and you know hey trump's not the most likable guy yeah so i just asked him i said hey why, why don't you like him because all he thinks about is America and he makes all the deals for you guys. He doesn't care about the rest of the countries in the world. He's <laughs> making all the deals for the benefit right. of the United States. I'm like, well, look, he's essentially the United States CEO. I said, and if I was hiring him to be the CEO of a company that I own, that's kind of exactly what I'd want him to do. Right. Negotiate deals for your employer. And I think that's the biggest problem we've had is we've had this uh, whether it's a superiority complex or, you know, just wanting to always be the good guy and letting other countries walk all over us economically. Yeah. We've, you know, whether you love Trump, hate Trump, whatever, the guy stopped the nonsense with, tried to stop the nonsense, at least stem the tide of the nonsense of ripping every damn thing off, flooding our country yeah. with counterfeit goods right. and not playing by the rules. You know, here's a trade agreement, but one side will only have to abide by it. Well, how the heck is that fair to right. American businesses? It's right. not. Right. It's not. And 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 people wonder why American businesses have a hard time competing on the the world stage. Well, when you have one country that doesn't abide by environmental laws, they don't inv uh, abide by economic treaty, they don't play by any of the rules, yeah. but yet you have to, and you have more and more environmental legislation and more and more rules put against you. Yeah, at a certain point, it's it's tough. People don't think it matters, but um, you know the VAT tax going on that's you know imposed in Europe makes basically everything we make completely uncompetitive, right? Now, we're all going head-to-head -head with Western countries that have worker protection and workers' rights and built-in pay and clean environment, all of that kind of built into the structure, and they've made it so we can't compete in that space. Yeah. And then, you know, we get sued if you say French cheese or if you say Greek cheese or if you say this country, that country's olive oil or whatever. So I saw him kind of calling out the hypocrisy that's been shoved really right up our ass, and we've had zero representation. We've had sellout without representation. They right. sold us off. I mean, so that's been my biggest complaint is yeah. just, you know, we've had leaders that have been very weak on the world stage, I think, with negotiating deals. And like you say, you know, politics aside, I don't want to dive too far on the down the political that's all right. thing or whatever, but... Um, you know, whether you like Trump or you didn't, the guy wasn't afraid to stand up to other countries. Yeah. I just think uh, there's, there's uh, in the same way we have maybe an awakening about where we buy our stuff from, there may be an awakening about leaders who actually kind of represent our best interest. And that that's what, there's a, there's a struggle going on right now inside the 
kind of American political body. That's really what the struggle is. Is everybody a globalist who's sold out the day they show up? Or are they actually going to represent the people they represent? The Democrats are pissed right now that Kristen Sinema is not just lock and step doing what they want. She's a, a flukish Democrat elected in a Republican state. And she's got to do what her electorate kind of wants. And she knows what they want. They're, they're emailing her every day. Mm -hmm. So, uh, no, it's interesting. I, I've, I, uh, I have found that this group, everything that this administration has done so far, is actually, I didn't realize, it's passively hampering me. Because we could do so much more if there were people looking for work. Mm -hmm. We're almost at like total employment right now. And and that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, cool. Uh, what do you think? We showed you the ASK knife a little bit today. You guys both got a gander of that. Our kind of product that we're jumping into that uh, Swiss Army knife segment to compete against them. Been around a long time. They do a great job and they make a great product. Um, and we may not compete head-to-head -head with that niche but how do you think we're going to do in the place of the what do you guys think of the product well um you may or may not know but basically the first brand i sold was victorinox so it's a brand that's uh, always been near and dear to my heart right. fantastic brand you're making a completely different product right you know it's 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 a different product for a different customer and i think at a different price point different price point all kinds of stuff different yeah but i think it fills or helps to serve a niche that's not being served at all right now um if if there's a multi-tool made in the U.S. or elsewhere with premium products, titanium liners, high-quality steel blade, I can't think of it if there is. It may be like a custom one somewhere, but... I don't hey, think Jason. so. Jason. Hey. Did you turn the AC down two notches? So... Trying to sweat me out of here. Sorry about that. Huh? I was like, I just got hot in here all of a sudden. So... Politics. I think... With most multi-tools, Victorinox, Leatherman, whatever, the blade is almost an afterthought, you know? And I, I don't mean that with any disrespect. I just think it is. It's, we're making a multi-tool. core thing. We're hitting a price point, and yes, it has a blade. Here it is. Um, this knife, make no mistake, is very blade-centric. Um, you're a knife maker. These things have badass knife blades on them. They're really cool, well-designed. Great steel. Um, I don't know if we're talking about what what steel it is yet or not, but uh, yeah, you could say anything. I'm, okay, I'm okay. like I'm pretty tabular. I'm I'm be like, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm not gonna. You, you can bring it up if you want. But anyway, great steel. It's S forty five yen right now, and it's going to magnet cut. But go it, ahead. Yeah, it's. I mean, those are some pretty cool steels. Yeah. Um, talking about American business, Crucible and Niagara really doing some great things with oh, steels yeah, for sure, and really helping again leverage that American made cutlery kind of taken front and center stage um but anyway so really cool blades on them great steel titanium liners nice thickness on the spine but yet tapered enough that they are screaming scary sharp uh walk and talk on them blown away half stop firm solid uh and then your um lock if you if we're gonna call it that, I guess whatever. But anyway, in the open position, if you will, uh, to overcome that takes a good bit of force, but not unreasonable where it becomes dangerous. I've seen somewhere to overcome that, you know, even with a half stop, you almost it, cut yourself. That's or exactly yeah. right. You don't have that. You're right at that point where, yeah, this thing's not gonna fold closed on me, but I don't have to worry about cutting my finger shutting this thing either. So, the action on them, 
scale of one to 10, they're a 10. Um, as you know, I bought into this idea early. I thought the concept was as cool as hell. The modularity to be able to take it apart, take layers out, add layers and tools at some point in the future. I think the whole concept of it is as cool as it gets. Guys like to tinker with stuff and take stuff apart and add to it and customize it. This gives you that ultimate level of making it your own. You can do what yeah. you want with it. Yeah, you, if you want three layers as it comes, boom, you got it, or two layers, whatever. Mm -hmm. Conversely, hey, I want to make this a single layer and carry it in my pocket. I'm going out to dinner tonight. What did it take? Five minutes maybe? Take it apart, take some layers out, screw it back together, off you go. So real cool factor, but from a, a function standpoint, it's really functional too and really cool. You know what uh, the other thing I think is cool about it is, you know, guys have a tendency to buy the next pistol or the next knife when they're kind of bored with the one they've got. If they're if they're kind of user dudes, are like, oh, it's getting a little time. We should look a little freshen up. Almost like when people go to sell their car and they go get it all cleaned up to sell it, and they're like, oh, this is really nice. I, actually, I'll just keep it one more year. Um, I think guys are going to buy different colored handles and put them on there and be like, ah, my knife's fresh again. I think they'll buy like a Warren Cliff instead of a spear point or a Tonto blade and go, oh, it's like having a whole new knife without doing a whole nother knife. I absolutely. Think, I think there'll be some accessory sales that happen off of it. Yep, absolutely. One of the things that I like most about this you know, I've known about this project for quite some time. And kind of skeptical. Yes. Kind, <laughs> honestly, kind of skeptical. Because the one thing from, I carry a Swiss Army knife at work every day in my back pocket. The one thing that I always discount, though, I don't really think of that as a knife. It's it. It's got some tools that I use. So seeing yours, like, oh, shit, the knife should be front and center. Like mine, I don't use the, I have, I carry a knife. I'm not worried about the knife in that. So seeing yeah. yours, like, oh, shit, this is a knife, not just a multi-tool. It has the other stuff, but it's got the main blade. Like it's, 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 a, it's, it's enough knife. of a knife, you'll take it out and use it. Yes. It's it, a it's a almost a knife first versus, like I say, with the other multi-tools, it's a real afterthought. This one, it's it's a knife. I, you know, I forgot. I was going to get a bunch of the Mexican Coke. Do you guys know what Mexican Coke is? It's a real like it's, cane sugar. It's got real it. cane sugar, and it's in a bottle. There's Mexican Coke in every place down here in Arizona because all the Mexican guys like drinking it. Um. What I've noticed about bottle openers like the last 10 years is they always take two or three tries to yep. get them to work. I want you guys to use the bottle opener before you go. It's uh, It's got a little claw on it. And it was the thing I said, listen, this has got to be, I want a bartender to want to use this. I want it to be that good. So I drove the guys crazy with the fucking bottle opener. Because like, nope, it's not good enough. They're like, it works. Like, It's not good enough. And we put this little tiny claw on it. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, like I give it to my mom. And she just boom snaps a bottle top off. I'm like, or you know, a bottle cap off. And I go, all right, that's what I wanted. And you you don't have to try. It kind of grips into it while you're using it, because it's the tool that's going to be used the most probably on any guy carrying a multi tool is a bottle opener. My right? cadet, the biggest, I, the one tool that has the screwdriver and the bottle opener. That's the main reason I, the main tools that I use on that. And it does it takes two, two cracks at the at the cap to get it off. Which I'm just used to at this point. Right. This one does not. And the other thing about it is, um, you know, guys are like, well, why do you make your bottle opener so stiff? Because, you know, you're you're using it in a way that is in the open, that wants to open it. So it, it's there's no threat of it closing. What are you doing? And I go, well, the ends of it's screwdriver. I want it to actually really hold out there nicely. So I, I cammed it. I put the screwdriver tip behind the center line of the knife. So if you push really hard, it's pushing it towards the lock open position. And then the, it's got that little cam, and it's got a little space between the cam and the lobe. You know when you go to break it, 
it wants to break and then it hits a stop. Mm -hmm. We put that there because you'll feel it right before, you know, your hand's going to feel that it's starting to bend. And then instead of breaking closed, it hits that little stop. So it's just insurance. I, you know, I think about using tools. I, even when I'm making knives, like, how's this going to feel when we're really using it? It's my, probably my number one thing that I judge stuff by, you know. The other thing that I thought was a cool idea, a cool tool on them, was the little pry that you put on there. The, the chisel pry bar? The chisel pry bar. Yeah. It's actually... It, it's it's a really cool idea. I think it's something that a guy would use a, a, a good amount. Um, People are going to use it to take stickers off windows. Yeah. They're going to use it to reach in and cut little things they can't quite reach or they don't want a saw on their knife to cut. They can use their chisel to pinch it off. Mm -hmm. And they're going to pry all the little things that you use to tip your knife to try and pry a thing open. They're going to use they're going to use that. Well, that's right. Instead of using your your knife blade like a screwdriver yep. or a pry bar, you actually have they one. Actually on have there. one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh I think it's I love it's it's so funny for me. It's uh for me it's like a fat guy in a thong. Um everyone expects these big chunky knives from me. Even though you guys know for the last few years we've been making a lot of really slender mm -hmm. little pocket knives and selling a lot of them. Uh, and then this thing is the antithesis of my Praetorian tie. I, I like make the two opposite ends of the spectrum of knife making. The company runs the whole gambit. So for me, that's great fun. I love how creative it is because you can just one layer, two layer, three layers. Yeah. I think dudes are going to carry it, and I think I'm going to carry it without a blade. I think they're going to carry it as a companion tool to go with their everyday, yeah. their main knife. And I think some guys... We're going to go, I don't like having two knives. This has got a cool enough blade. I'll actually carry the damn thing as a knife. You know, back to your point. Yeah. yeah. Or you're going to fly, take the blade out. Oh, I, that, that'd be... I, I had thought about that earlier today. Well, I can just take the blade out of this. And and tool it up. Right. I can't, you know, I didn't even think of that. But that's pretty funny, this, actually. This is, a, this is the first trip I've never that I've ever taken that I didn't check a bag, and I just feel kind of weird not having a not having something. So. I like having tools with me all the time, everywhere I go. And if I don't have some stuff in my right, feels naked, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, I'm at the gym, and I don't, look at you can tell I don't go to the gym very much. No, if I'm if I'm at the gym and I'm working out or I'm on a elliptical or whatever, I kind of my hand keeps going back down to feel where my knife is. And you know, you don't have any of that stuff with you in your workout shorts, but I'm always like, oh, I don't want my knife with me. Well, um, I hope you guys like it. I hope we, uh, I hope, well, actually, I hope we sell a whole ton of them. I think it'd be great fun. I think the American guys that are into knives are going to like it. Uh, we've got a bunch of colors, a bunch of options, and a bunch of new things coming down the pipeline. Do you guys see any trends in the knife world that you could glean a little wisdom from your metrics on the rest of us? We just consumer make knives. What, what do you? Uh... I I think right now it's it's hard to draw a lot of conclusions because there is still so much scarcity in the marketplace that it really skews the numbers. You know, it's hard to say we see a trend where this product or this type of product in in the market is increasing and this is decreasing because with a lot of the quality products, American made or European made that we sell. It comes it's in gone all the time. and it's and it's gone in twenty minutes, an hour, two minutes. So it's it's really hard. Yeah. Um, you know, I think as you and I talk, there's people that think the the the, the market for cutlery is going to go back to 
2018 levels or 19 levels in the next year. And I, I just don't, I don't see it happening. I see a lot of strength and a lot of resiliency. Uh, my feeling was if it was going to happen, it would have happened kind of during late summer, you know, post blade show, you usually hit a little bit of a lull. And if we we're going to see real softness, we we're going to see it then. Because once you get into this time of year, we're starting to ramp up for fourth quarter. So it's certainly yeah. not going to drop now, you know, so then the next time would be um, March, April of next yep, year. Second quarter. Yeah, that's yep. right. Where we might then see some softness, but that first period that I looked at to try and, because as you know, um, when we're buying right now, we're, we're trying to project a year and a half, two years out for some brands that are backlogged that far. Uh, so you're really shooting at a moving target, right? You know, where, where is the industry going to be in two years? And so I'm writing checks many times in the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, two years out. So you really have to kind of be in tune with where you think that market's going to be, or you're going to be upside down or not have nearly enough stuff to sell. Um, and so trying to watch that this late summer and, you know, we, we saw no, no real weakness there. I mean, it was good. Uh, fourth quarter, I think is going to be driven by, if you have product, you're going to sell it. Yep. You're going to sell it like crazy. Yep. And I don't mean that just in the knife industry. I mean that in everything. If you've yeah. got product, you're going to sell it. Hard part's going to be getting the product. It's going to push us into early 2022. You know, we'll have a period then where we'll kind of see where the market's going. But I think overall, based on MagnaCut, based on a lot of great products, ASK being one of them that is kind of a a game changer, really. I mean, it's 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 a there's not a lot of products that come into the knife industry where you say, okay, this is a real game changer. This is really yeah, different. this is different. This is really different. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's it's got a handle, it's got a blade, right? It's it's a knife. Yeah. This is revolutionary and different. So I think there's enough of those things to keep that excitement and fuel in the market because look at the end of the day we're selling something as 100 discretionary product almost none of our customers buy these knives out of necessity they're buying it out of want because they're cool they're exciting and so as long as you have that innovation and you have companies continually pushing the bar higher and higher and higher and coming up with new cool stuff then i think the the industry remains strong and when i look at Medford Knife and Tool, when I look at Hinder, when I look at Chris Reeve, Koenig, uh, Demco, go, go down the list. And then the even the, the big manufacturer, Spyderco Benchmade, there's never been a time where I've felt more strongly about the industry and the products that they're putting forth uh, in the steels that they're using, in the designs, uh, in uniqueness. Uh, I, I feel like that's what we do best, that we shine at that. You know, rock and roll, surf, do it our way. There's a lot of creativity that happens here. And well, I, you, you guys probably have more than anybody. I mean, when you look at um, some of the batches of knives that you send to us as well as other dealers, I don't know of anybody that's doing that kind of one-off, just cool. I mean, one cooler than the next, you know. Your brand is a brand that still, when we get a shipment of knives in, Paul and I are knife guys. You know, we're there's a good chance we're back there saying, oh, look at this one. Look at this one. Yeah, I love that. That's cool. What yeah. a fun thing that we get to sell. I I, I always use my, and Paul's probably, his eyes are rolling back of his head already thinking, I know what he's going to talk about. I always say, hey, we could be selling industrial uh, valves, right? Go on social media and get excited about our new valve that we came out with right. to, to change the flow of water or liquid or whatever. 
we sell super cool products. If you're not excited and you don't love what you're doing and you work in this industry, you either don't have a pulse or you need to do something else. It is a cool, fun industry to be in. And the, the other thing on that, though, too, with the, yeah, it's cool, but it's quality. Almost everything, all of your stuff is quality-made stuff. The high-end brands are quality where, yeah, it's expensive, but this is cool. It's expensive, but, man, this is nice. This is really nice. You can feel it's, good. It's built with quality. It's not It's not just glitzy. It's it, it's a your knives, although they look cool, you can go beat the snot out of them and they'll take it, right? Yeah. They're they're not fragile by any stretch. Yes. Yeah, so th that's what I that's what I like. You know, I I've carried the I've had the same Genesis as the S first run of the S ninety that we did. It'll be like two years December. I bought it for myself for a Christmas present and it's been in my pocket damn near every day since. And well, it's just I like the feel. It feels good and I you know, it's got a cool know, style and all There's that these stuff. things that we run across in our lifetimes. Um that are talismans that speak to us. Sometimes it's our a tool that was handed down to us from a grandfather. You know, if you ever grew up wrenching with a dad or an uncle or a grandpa, you know, they had a couple of go-to tools that were in their toolbox, you know. My dad had his red-handled four-in-one screwdriver, his blue channel locks. He had a really unique pair of pliers that I stole from him and have in my toolbox. Um, he had a unique hammer. And, and the thing that... You know, I mean, he had his favorite pair of needle nose pliers. These tools around us that we get used to, that we like, they help us extend ourselves into the physical world doing things because mm -hmm. we're all doing stuff, busy people. And uh, there's something about having tools that stay with you a long time. They're comfortable. Um, when you get them, you remember, God, you know, I spent, I spent too much money on this pair of pliers, but this thing of these fucking pair of pliers I've ever had. I, you know, my dad, I, I'd love to find a pair of pliers, a new version of the pair of pliers that I stole from him because they were my grandfather's and you can't get pliers like them anymore. They had a unique, and, and I'm like, why doesn't everyone make pliers? Because I use these on everything and they're weird shaped and they fit against everything. And uh, I like, I think about that when I, when I start drawing knives and when we're making knives and I'm putting knives on my hands, I'm thinking about, I want this to go beating around with a plumber. He has this in his pocket, and every time he's got to cut something, pry something, poke something, he's got his favorite knife in his pocket. He goes and grabs it. I don't think, I don't, I've heard a lot of guys talk about their knife making because I've had a chance to, you know, rub elbows with <laughs> about everybody who makes knives. And everybody has lots of different reasons for making knives. I didn't make knives to be famous. I didn't, knived out, uh, didn't design knives to outdo my teacher. I didn't design knives so I could get a job with a company doing designing for their company. Um, I made knives because I wanted to make tools that last forever and I wanted them to feel a certain way. And they remind me of the tools, my favorite tools from my dad's toolbox and from my toolbox. And that's what kind of, that's kind of the zeitgeist or spirit behind the knife designing that I do. It's not, it's not for much else than that. And then if people like it, cool. And if they don't, they can fuck off. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you a kind of a funny statement from a friend of mine, uh, Les George, <clears throat> Les has, I'm, I'm forgetting the exact number or whatever, uh, so I'll par paraphrase here, but he said something along the lines of the hundredth most famous pro bowler is still 10 times more famous than the most famous knife maker. We're in a small industry. Right. If you're doing this to be famous, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it was, uh, it was good fun for me. I was having a little production challenge and Ken Onion called up. Greg's Ken Onion. I said, hey, Ken. He goes, 
I've been watching your. I've been watching what you're up to, man. You're doing some cool stuff. I'm so happy for you. Um, there's a guy who's kind of been around the knife industry a couple of times. He's made a few laps around the patch, and he was just so excited. He was like a kid in a candy store talking to me. There's not, you know, you, you know, other than uh, uh, Bob Terzola and a couple of the old time knife guys. There's not too many dudes who've been around it in the game, you know, as much or heavily as successfully and as long as he has. Right. And to have him call up and just be so excited out of the blue. And frankly, I was so busy, I kept trying to get, I, I couldn't get off the phone with him. He just wanted to talk about sharpening. He wanted to talk about how many I could do per hour, what kind of machine am I using, what are you doing this with? And uh, and then he's like, well, hey, think about this. He was giving me advice. I was like, Ken, I think I need to fly out here. <laughs> So it's fun to see guys that have been in the industry for a very long time calling up really excited That's about cool. the ASK knife, you know. Now, he was talking about that with me a lot. He said, man, I love what you're doing, man. We're all excited for your success. And You don't see that, I don't know, in too many industries probably. The other thing that I don't think you see in many other industries that you see in the knife industry that is, to me, I'm always blown away by it and is so cool, whether it's you or... Rick Hinder or Tim Reeve or whoever, everybody, I think, not everybody, but the perception is you guys are all competitors and you're conniving and trying to beat the other company. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you guys transfer knowledge back and forth. You get along very well. You help each other out. And I've seen that so many times and I'm just, I'm blown away with how by how cool that is. It is super cool. Yeah, you to... just mentioned all my dinner partners from Blade Show. <laughs> I remember being at SHOT in the last SHOT show there was, and I met, I'd met you at, at your booth first thing, I think a Friday morning or whatever, and there's Tim Reeve and exactly who Jason was talking about. Rick Hander just shooting the shit. Yeah. Just sitting there talking. But, but, but you, guys, nobody... you guys, you look at it as your friends first, and you want the entire industry a rising tide raising all boats, yeah, right? Yeah. Not, hey, I'm going to try and do this and then push down Chris Reeve knives or Hinder knives. You guys do it the right way, and I think it's so cool. I mean, I've seen you guys interact together, and I've been in situations where you, you know, multiple of you guys are together, and you can tell you guys general, genuinely like each other and want each other. Sure, I, you I think they tolerate. I think they tolerate me. But I'll sure, look, you guys are competitive. At the end of the day, of course, you want to be the biggest and the best or whatever, and everybody does. But first and foremost, you guys all want each other to do well and do it the right way. And you know, not we're almost like teammates yeah. on a on a team. Like, you know, you you want to be the best player on the team, so you're competing with each other all the time, but you still want the team to win, and we're right. on the same team. Um, I don't think any of those guys have shot in front towards my success because I know I don't have it towards them. You know, we're reveling in other people's failures. I, I don't think any of us have that with each other. Um, you know, the ASK knife, interestingly, um, the idea was conceived in 2016 with uh, Curtis and Mark from Spartan, we were the three of us were sitting in an Irish pub in uh, Germany drinking and Curtis goes, Oh, I'd love to get in that business. You know, he's got that real <laughs> yeah. childish. Uh, yeah. He's got that real childish uh, energy about him when he's talking about so. man, I really like to get a piece of that money. You know, he says it, that point he knows that he's going up and down. And I said, Oh man. And I was like, me too. Cause it's gotta be different than the crazy Pretoria diet collectors. And we started talking about, and I said, and I would do this and I would do that. And I would do this. And he said, well, let's do it. I said, okay. And he goes, I wouldn't do it with anybody else. You're one of the only guys I know will just get it done. So I went home and I started drawing. And I sent drawings. He's like, yeah, we're too busy. And 
And he's like, yeah, we got this going on. And then I said, hey, I'm going to run with this. Are you guys cool? And they're like, yeah, you're cool. Go, 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 go run with it. So <laughs> it's kind of the whole idea popped up in a bar and it's turning into a whole company now. It's, nice. It will be a whole company in 2022. So it's kind of funny. That's cool. And, and you know, those guys, it's, I, I text out pictures to, you know, I text out pictures to Chris Reed. I mean, to Tim and his mom, Ann, and I send out pictures to Mark and Curtis and to Rick Hinderer and to Mick Strider and to a few other guys in the knife business. I'm like, hey, what do you guys think? And everybody comes back and jumps in and is talking. I'm in these big circle conversations with like, it's the goddamn who's who of knife makers in the in a, uh, in a world that nobody else knows about but us knife nerds, right. you know? And uh, everybody's just so supportive and it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's not like uh, other industries are a lot more cutthroat. Absolutely. You know? But we're still all competing to do better and everybody is the best knife maker in the room. Sure. <laughs> it's like fighter pilots. Everybody in the room is the best pilot. <laughs> All right, cool. Is uh, is there, you guys have anything cool going on at DLT you want to let anybody know about? Besides the ongoing deliveries of Medford Knife, um, what do you what do you guys have going on? Any any new uh, specials or limited releases coming up soon? You want anybody to know about? Uh, probably. I I, I got, was you, I was I was out the last week, so I'm a little bit out of the loop. Oh shit! The boss was out. Yeah. I, I, oh, that's right. You were down with you were down with the uh, Rona. Yes. Yes, I was. My <laughs> <laughs> had Rona. Yeah. Uh, how about you? You got anything you want to tell us about, or are you guys like? Uh, I'm not sure if we're ready to tell anybody about this yet. No, I'm just drawing drawing a blank. I do have a, a box of your knife showed up the day the day the we the day before we left, so. New Medford Knife and Tool Knives on the what? website soon. Do you have any specials coming up with any other companies? Well, are... we, you know, we do, Greg. I mean, we have a we have a ton of special projects. We've never had more special projects in the pipeline than we do right now. Yeah. The big thing is when, you know. So that's in our internal Facebook group. You know, I'm constantly being bombarded with, "Hey, when are you getting the next Spartan Limited?" I don't know. Are you getting them? Yes. When? I don't know. So. <laughs> We have a ton of cool stuff that will deliver this quarter. Yep. Just don't know when, you know. Right. Um, we yeah. give a little tease, though. Anybody looking for S90V Medford Knife and Tool Knives coming soon, not in the next week, but keep your eyes peeled because we we did see them in the factory. We went out to the factory and saw some knives getting in the process, so that'll be nice. There's a lot going on there, out there, isn't there? There's a it's a it's a lot. When I walk through the building out there, I'm always like, holy shit, I can't believe how much stuff's going on out here. Because I started in a garage by myself doing everything, you know. You, I mean, you really have some world-class equipment. <laughs> it's crazy. And some of that stuff, I know what it costs him. In my mind, because I'm a numbers guy, I'm like, oh yeah, he's 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 got some real money tied up in equipment here. Oh yeah. You've got the big boy cool stuff. There's oh, yeah, no I doubt. Know. Oh yeah, I don't know. So, all right, so yeah, so we've got S90V stuff coming from you. Yeah. We've got a cool a couple of Hinder projects with in the next oh, that couple. Oh, fuck, that fucking guy? Yeah. <laughs> within, the, within the next couple months, so we've got some cool stuff working with him that we should see before Christmas. We always have some, some Spider Co stuff. I don't, I don't know if your your crowd leans that way. Uh, there's definitely crossover, at least from what we see. No, my, my mic is um, mostly heterosexual. So... <laughs> Okay, that was a I, can hear, I can hear the I, laughing in the I, I, in the other room. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. They're not heterosexual at all. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a couple of spectacle projects coming up too. But very yeah, cool. So always, always something in the works. Just like Jason said, we never, 
don't always know timelines on everything at this point. We've got some wild stuff coming out from us this year, okay? So ASK is going to launch. Then we're immediately, we've already started in on our big out the front project. We've already started in on, oh, make sure after we wrap the show, I show you guys uh, some of the, some of the prototype drawings of that okay that's that's pretty cool um and then we've got uh we're doing some magna cut limited releases of some of our legacy models and uh, we're going to be using some steel to kind of give some longevity to a couple of models that you know maybe maybe we'll start running every other year we also changed our role a little bit. I don't know if everyone's talked to you about that yet. We cut about half our models. I, I saw the email. I think yeah. the morning that we were leaving, I saw an email come through. So we cut about half the models, and the whole idea is we went basically we went through, and nobody wanted to give up anything. I'm like, we can't make all these models, you guys. Come on. We can't make all these models with a year lead time. And uh, we went through, and I said, look, anything less than a couple hundred, we should not be making these. Yeah. So we cut half the models. Now, they're not gone. They'll be back. Um, but we're maybe going to run them every other year, but do a, a substantial number of them. And I forget what, what – I, I think Jeff may be calling them sunsetting, or you know, we bring them back up again. That was the terminology in okay. the email, was sunsetting. Yeah. So I think we're sunsetting, and we're only going to make 25 models this year. <laughs> only. Only. Tw- only 25, <laughs> Jesus. But what it's going to allow us to do is it's going to allow us to get a little deeper back into the bench so there's some inventory that people can get their hands on stuff a little more consistently other than every site I go to, every dealer, every picture says sold out, sold out, sold out. I'm like, ah, fuck. Because every time you see somebody looking at a sold out picture, that should be a knife they're buying. Mm -hmm. And it just drives me crazy. So we're working on, you know, we're working on hitting, hitting, hitting further into the outfield a little deeper on every model. Greg, can you talk about, you had mentioned uh, things upcoming, and this is obviously a ways out, but uh, the Strider project as well as the Vehement project, are you at liberty to speak to those at this point? Or Yes, we have, a, we have another very cool Strider project that we're bringing along for you guys, as you well know. And, um, you know, those guys have been great to deal with. I We had a weird thing happen <clears throat> at the end of the last project, and... I sent out a snarky email. I know it's hard to believe. But I was like, who the fuck are you sending me a fucking email like this? Was, and it was it was the like mix ex-wife. And I was like, oh. So after I read it, after I sent it, I was like, oh, God, that probably didn't go off very well. And they were like, I was fucking persona non grata for the last six months. And then I, uh, I reached out and I was like, hey, man, you know I'm kind of a retard, right? <laughs> and he was like, me too. And then we just started talking again. I, nice. I apologized to Marissa and... Everyone was like, I'm like, ah, you guys don't know where I was at. Last year was a crazy year for me. And um, and uh, so we put together another good-sized project of ARs. I think uh, I think it's going to be an awesome project for you guys. Now, did you guys have just spear points last time? Correct. We did, yeah. So you guys are going to have spear points and tantos this time. So right. I think it's a solid win for DLT and for the guys that like that knife. That was an interesting knife. It uh, When I initially approached mick about that i can't remember if he approached me or i approached him but you know we'd been kind of snails around kind of walking in circles around each other um they're out in california it's a hard place to tool up and employ people and make knives Mm -hmm. just because of the crazy environment they've got to deal with so i was like let me do it and it's right in my wheelhouse of what we do Uh, you know if someone said hey would you make a uh, would you do a collab with Benchmade and make a Benchmade knife? I'd be like, fuck no, they're set up for that. Let them do that. I don't want to do all those little parts. If someone said, you know, would you do a thing with 
Grady Sin Cutlery. I go, oh, God, no, I, mean, I don't want to grind all that shit by hand. Pass. Um, but you see, if you see something from Strider, I'm like, oh, man, that's right in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Javi's, that's right in my wheelhouse. You know, So uh, I asked them about doing another project. They said, yeah. And uh, I think it was weird. It was so much fun to throw that out into the marketplace because the Strider guys want to hate me. And it kind of loops back to what you were saying. Everyone thinks we're all competitors and we're in each other's grill. The truth is the market's bigger than all of us. Right. It's bigger than all of us times two. Mm-hmm. So do your best. There's still room for me. Yep. Have me do half of my best and you do your best. There's still room for everybody. So nobody, you know, we're not all killing each other because we have, we don't know where the end of the market is. Right. Those guys, um, it was interesting because there, I've got a lot of guys who won't buy from them who decided to go over and buy knives. Mm-hmm. So it was good for them. And uh, and then there was a bunch of those guys who, for no reason, they just think that there's animus between us, would never buy one of mine. And they bought one, and now they know what my knives feel like. And so we sensed. So there's some crossover pollination. There's, def- there's definitely on. some cross-fertilization. Yeah. We saw that. The other thing <clears throat> that I told you earlier that I was really impressed with that model was that sales velocity strengthened throughout the, the sell-through period on it which is extremely indicative of, hey, the quality is really good. People like the design and they're talking about it. And it's um, because I saw Paul's review on YouTube, I bought it. I didn't just buy it because of the hype. Yeah, you know, you know so there's the, this initial like, what the fuck is this? Who is this? Yeah. I mean, who made this? Why, why, why did, huh? Right. And so that gets out there and then you see the uh, armchair reviews pop up on YouTube. And then just see it start selling. Right. I know when you talked to me about that, I was like, hey, look, man, if it started slow, that's because it's confusing. And yeah. the people that are in the know, they weren't sure what to think. But then when they got them, they went, oh, they got it. Them. Fair enough. Yeah. So I think it's cool. And I think uh, you know, now this this uh, model with a Tonto coming to the market is going to, it won't get that kind of ingenue, like this is the first time we're seeing this. What do we do? They're going right. to be like, oh, this, this is a great patch of knives. Let's get in on this. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. The other project we did this year with you guys was the Vehement project. Now, we did that directly with Matt. You kind of uh, facilitated that. And uh, I think that was a good move. I mean, um, you know, he came to me with a really basic design. He let me kind of lean him in a few, di- you know, he let me kind of shove him around into some directions a little bit like, hey, man, let's not do that. Hey, let's do this. No, I can't do that. If I can do that, it's going to do this. And uh, he ended up, I thought, I listen, I hate clip points. I think they're old-fashioned and gorpy looking. I don't dig them at all. Ugh. It's like a Edsel. <laughs> Fuck. And I and then, so we. I kept telling him, Dad, this should be a fucking drop point. Let's just, let's full edge the top and do a drop point. This is awful. <laughs> and then it came together and I was like, okay, I kind of see it. It's cool, you know. He's got a retro thing going on, and as it came together, the team, everybody just really liked it, you know? We all enjoyed the shit out of it. They flip unbelievably good. Matt gave me one, so I, I've carried one a bunch. Yeah. It flips fantastic. Uh, just a just a great, great knife. Uh, what was the sell-through time on those, Paul? It was less than a day, wasn't it? I, I believe Six, so. Six, eight hours, or something like that. Head. They were quicker than what either of us honestly had expected. Because well, it was a... Because it's an know, unknown. It's the first it, time. Vietnam right. Knife sells awesome fixed blades this was their first foray into a folder yeah so you know what i think i think what happened was i did uh some eighth inch flippers right before this we did the flipper uh 
this slim what do we call it the flipper fl the the, the mid-size victorian oh. slim flipper and i kind of got my own little recipe for what makes one of these little knives just flip like a rocket and he got to be the beneficiary of that knowledge that i had kind of gathered together over the last couple knives between the slim middies the Praetorian slim slim uh flipper fl and all the we, we just you know we kind of got this kind of got it dialed in and then what we didn't know is the whole world was getting caged 16th inch bearings out of china and COVID came along and pumped the brakes on every 16th inch ball bearing on planet earth you couldn't get them for months and then when you could get the bearings you couldn't get the races and you need the races badly and no one's making them and i know why now because we tried making them uh you gotta it, it, it's it's a hell of a process making hardened precision ground washers and we didn't we didn't really respect how complicated that was and, uh, and it doesn't sound complicated oh, you know when you till you go to do it it sounds simple but then you go okay well how do you get the thin material okay well, let's just grind some sheets and i go have you ever ground sheets of steel to ten thousandths of an inch thick that's four human hairs thick it doesn't want to stick it puckers, it buckles, it heats up, overheats, distorts, pops up off your magnet. Do it on a do it on a vacuum. Then uh, it holds down in certain spots and not others. It's really hard to make a tenth out thick. So you make a tenth out thick, and you oh sweet, we got a tenth out thick. And yet heat treat it, and then you cut it out with a wire EDM. And now you've got tabs all over it. And you gotta get the tabs off thousands of little circles hmm. so that's one problem the other problem is when you heat treat them they don't stay flat they potato chip a little bit shit that's scrap and you throw them all away say well this time we'll make them a little thicker and we'll grind them afterwards <laughs> so you go to grind them and they pucker the other direction hmm. and so what you find out is you have to lap them from the top and bo bottom simultaneously you have to lap hundreds at a time in a big disc need some specialty machines for that it's all like little chinese ladies telling stories to each other kind of work is <laughs> our big american fingers i can't even get anybody in the shop who will stack those goddamn washers <laughs> <laughs> so it's it, and they look like washers and they're so benign and they are fucking hard to make and then to, to get them all to you know they've got to be almost knife hard and they've got to be perfectly flat and they've got to be within a tenth wow that Perfectly flat and within a tenth. That's that's almost one of the hardest things you do, you know. So we we kind of gave up, and uh, I started throwing money around because I said, "Oh man, man, it's going to shut the whole company down if we don't have races." And we got them again, and we'd been buying stuff that we thought was made uh, in uh, Michigan and was being sold by a distributor in Florida. Turned out it was being being made out of Asia. Wow! Because. We're like, hey, well, this hasn't been constrained. We're up and running with all this stuff here in the U.S. Why can't we get it? And they go, well, nobody makes that size bearing in the U.S. So, you know, it's a challenging thing to, be, to deal with. The last the last year has been a little crazy. And I think this whole next year is going to be nuts with supply chain yeah. stuff. Well, listen, guys, totally fun having you in. I hope you felt like it was worth coming down. It I know was we awesome. Got a, I know we got a little more business to chat about, but I appreciate you stepping in. I think people love seeing behind the curtain a little bit seeing kind of what's going on out there in knife land anything you'd like to shout out before we leave you want to say hi to mom 
my mom will not be watching this. So I'll say <laughs> hi to my brother. <laughs> you, you want to say hi to your kids? Yeah, Braden, Dawson. Hi, guys. Um, Tara, <laughs> better say hi to her too. Well, shit. If he's talking to his kids, I better quit dropping f bombs. Hey guys, it's uh, Greg Medford from Greg's World. We wanted to uh, do a little crossover into my business for the day. Got some friends in from out of town and uh, thought we'd spread the love and let you guys see peek, peek behind the knife curtain a little bit. I'm out.